So I'm going to speak on unity out of Ephesians 4. So if you want to turn to that now, we'll get there in a minute. We'll also have the scripture up on the screen. So starting out, just saying, uh, I talked about the season we're in a little bit, but there's so many divisions in our culture, in our world that we live in today, that it could be easily tempting for Christians to separate as well over certain issues, whether they be political, socioeconomics, and a myriad of other factors. Um, they can cause division within the church, and we know that's not what God wants and not what he calls us to in his word. There are many ways members of the same church can disagree, but unity in the church, the body of Christ as a whole, should remain. That's crystal clear in, in God's word. And the fact that it can be difficult to living out a unified life here in church, and if we do find that and we struggle to come along our fellow believers, to come alongside of them, uh, then we need to pray. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to change our heart, to work in our heart, and to unify us as a body. Praying for unity ultimately is the way that we pursue it, knowing that we're incapable of doing it on our own, that we need God's strength um, to truly be unified. So I want to start with two quotes. First one by J.I. Packer, a Canadian evangelical theologian who passed away in July, this past July, and it says, Christian unity is a matter that should be taken seriously because God takes it seriously. If you, if you look at that on YouTube, he stops right there and kind of laughs. He goes, that's the answer. That's all really you need to know, is that, as we know, if God takes it seriously, that we need to take it seriously. Um, he goes on, in the Bible, the Lord Jesus prays that all his disciples everywhere at all times will be one, one in their fellowship with him and one in their life together. So he lived into his early 90s. We study, we study a couple of his books um, in our elder deacon meetings. Uh, it's a great quote. The second one is by A.W. Tozer, who wrote in this book, this is from The Pursuit of God, The Human Thirst for the Divine, and he was a pastor and an author. And this is, a, I think, a, an excellent quote. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, like us, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So I think very strongly bringing home the point that when we're focused on Christ, we are we're as close as we can be to each other. We're all focused on Christ. When we look away from Christ and kind of come up with our own ways to unify, we're actually further apart than when we're focusing on Christ. So I think we all know that, but that's a really good reminder. So Ephesians 4 um, is one of the many places in the Bible that talks about unity, and that's where we're going to look. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and then jump to verses 11 through 16. So I'm going to read all of it together right now. So Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then skipping to 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Some great words from Paul right there. And few things are more important to us as Christians than learning to walk in unity with each other. Unity is the, in the church is a goal that biblical churches must pursue. Thankfully, all over Scripture, our verses on unity. We looked at Ephesians 4, but just some other places that you can look. John 17, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 3, Philippians 1. All over, God is speaking of the unity that he expects us to have with each other. Looking at Ephesians 4, we're going to consider 10 truths that we find in this scripture on what church unity is and what it is not. It sounds like a lot, Tim. These aren't 10 huge, uh, they're not bullet points, but they're also not exhaustive points, so don't be nervous. I'll get you home for the 4 o'clock games today. <laughs> now, uh, number one, unity is a gift from God, so that's important to understand. We know that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. We didn't read in Ephesians 2, but back there, Paul explains how unity comes as a result of salvation. This means unity among fellow Christians is a gift of grace, just as salvation is itself. Ephesians 2.13 reads, But now in Christ you, were once, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jews and Gentiles were made one new man by the death and resurrection of Christ. And now in the church, a myriad of nations, unity continues to be a gracious gift. So among us, among believers, unity is not a luxury item. It's not an afterthought or a throw-in. It's not like getting heated seats in your car or a new, I was going to say new sound system, but it is a good sound system, but it's not even that. We worked hard to do it, so it's not even that, though. 
Rather, unity in Christ, unity in the body of Christ, is what we're all about. It's what the church is. And at times we may struggle with unity in the church, but remember, it's a gift from God, and we must pursue it. It's very important to, to remember where unity comes from. One of John Bishop's favorite quotes, Psalm verses, Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's a powerful quote. God is pleased when we are unified. It's what he requires from us, and the first point is that it comes from, from him. It is a gift of God. Secondly, unity is maintained. It's not created by man. So we just read a lot from Ephesians. But because it's a unity, because it's a gift from God, the church is called to maintain it, not create it. Verse 3 just told us that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Notice Paul doesn't say we need to find or create or even produce unity, but maintain the unity that God has given us, that he created and that he gave us. With the one heart given by the Spirit, we are to maintain the unity God gives us. Remembering the peace God has given to us in salvation, we pursue peace and seek unity with the power God gives us by his Spirit. Uh, some scripture sections that talk specifically on this are Romans 12, 14, 12 to 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 14, Ephesians 4 to 5, and Colossians 3, and they're all written for that purpose, for men and women united in Christ to learn how to maintain God's gift of spiritual unity. So how do we maintain unity then? Well, that's what the sermon's all about, but just some bullet points here. We meditate on God's command demanding that we love each other, right? God commanded that we love each other. The inspired word of God is telling us that we're to love one another. We meditate on that. We pray on that. We, we are the first to seek peace and reconciliation. We've often said that we're not only peacekeepers, we are peacemakers. So as believers, we seek to have peace with each other. We may have differences. We are called to have peace, and we, we strive to, for that, to reconcile. We pursue, pursue humility, and we're going to talk a little more in a minute about humility, but that's key. We meditate on the unique relationship that we have with each other as Christians. We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And lastly and most importantly, we pray for unity. We're going to keep coming back to praying for it. But we always need to be in prayer for, for our unity. The third truth we see in uh, the book of Ephesians is that unity grows over time, or at least in a church, unity should be growing over time. We saw in verse 3 that we need to maintain unity, but if we look at verse 13, it read, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we see that unity is not a static thing. We see that we're, we know that we're all a work in progress as, as believers and as a body. So we're on a journey. We're on a, we're on a unity journey. And these things that we work towards, unity is something every church should pray for and grow in. Ephesians 3 teaches us it is the result of prayer and the fullness of the Spirit. 
But again, that's what we are. We are a people filled with the Spirit, commissioned to love one another, and proclaim gospel truth. That is who we are as, as a church. The fourth point is that unity is most opposed by pride and self-interest. So we're going to talk a little bit more about humility here. But it's funny, if you, uh, we have a kind of a running joke in Sunday school. Whenever we're talking about sin, we throw it out. Why is this happening? What's the answer? It's always pride. If you want to just get to the answer of the, the, the problem, it always comes back to pride. Um, so that's an easy answer in class if you come in and visit. Um, Unity is maintained by humility, gentleness, patience, and enduring love. Without these, the richest doctrine and best structures will fail. Humility enables us to live sacrificially, and sacrificial love is what creates unity. Let me say that again. Humility enables us to love sacrificially. We're not going to do that if we're full of pride. We need to be humble. And that sacrificial love is what creates unity. Putting others first. Um, let's look at a couple verses on hum humility. One P 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you, having unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty but associate with, lo with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And one that's not on the screen, but Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So humility is key. We must behold gentleness, humility, and the love of Christ. Only as we adore those traits in him will those spiritual fruits take root in our life. And when they do, when love overtakes pride, love overtakes pride and gentleness replaces impatience, then we will see unity catalyzed in the church. Love overcoming pride and gentleness replacing impatience. It could be a tall order in some cases, but this is what God calls us to. Number five, true unity is uniquely Christian. Right? You can't find this in the world. Um, there are all sorts of things that unify our country, whether it's the Olympics every two or four years, whether uh, it's a political election where people rally around the candidate that they like, uh, whether it's everyday things like joining, joining a club or joining a gym. There are small things that unify us, but these, these are, have certain external affinities. These are things of the world. What makes the church unique is how our unity is based on the invisible realities of God and not anything visible to the natural man. The unity described in Ephesians 4 that we looked at is something the world cannot create nor can it explain. It is the unity of a once crucified Lord who is sending his spirit to raise dead people to life and fill them with his love. In short, it is gospel unity that has no earthly explanation. In fact, if the unity in church is explainable through what our culture sees, explainable through purely sociological factors that fails to display the inexplicable power of God. So our unity is very different from the world's unity. We ought to strive for unity that comes only from God 
and only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ and prayer in the Spirit. So that's your top five. You with me? Amen. All right. Halfway. Number six, unity requires a doctrinal center, which is the gospel. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the word one is listed seven times. Each member of the Godhead is mentioned. Thus, unity of God is expressed in these core elements of the gospel. After stressing the need for garments of grace to clothe the church, Paul speaks of the underlying commitments of a unified church. He explains that there's one body and one spirit in verse 4. There cannot be division because they have the same spirit. Likewise, there is one hope because there is one Lord, one faith and one baptism in verse 5. There is one way of salvation centered on Jesus Christ, one faith delivered to all the saints, and one baptism in the spirit by which all men and women are unified to Christ. In verse 6, there is only one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. So just as the one Spirit and the one Lord stress gospel unity, the one Father means the church is one large family adopted together in Christ. So if we put this all together, we find that the message of the gospel centered on Jesus Christ is the unifying doctrine of the church. The more the church elevates this message and test all doctrines by the gospel, the more we will grow in unity, not to mention maturity. At the same time, if we do the opposite, if we elevate peripheral issues, the more it has a possibility to divide itself or make itself inhospitable for believers who have differences among themselves. Well, the gospel, obviously, is, is, is key. Number seven, unity does not mean uniformity. Back in verse 7 again, Paul stresses that the unified body has, made, has many various gifts, and these gifts are people, as we see in verse 11. Indeed, because the gospel unites people from every nation, race, language, and culture, it unites people that the world cannot and won't unite. God had fit, has fit, fitted all of us together, and this is not by accident, but on purpose. In saving all kinds of people, God gets the greater glory. And by joining us together, he teaches us how to, work, how to walk in unity as we grow in humility, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. This plan laid out in Ephesians 2 and 4 then means that unity is not uniformity. We don't all look the same, talk the same, or even think the same. But it does mean that because we believe the same gospel, we can abide in grace together, learning how to accentuate gospel truth. Number eight, unity depends on grace and gifts. The goal of unity is to grow up together in Christ. That is unity leads to maturity, and maturity fosters greater unity. To facilitate this, God has given many gifts to the church. Again, verse seven stresses the way in which the Lord personally and intentionally gives gifts to the church. Christ is building his body, and he knows exactly how he wants it shaped. Therefore, he uniquely redeems and repurposes people in the church. Even more, we know Christ is working to shape each, each member of his church, and he's shaping us through each other, through one another. 
The point of Ephesians 4 is to stress how the members of the body are given to build up one another. In verse 11, Paul starts with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers as the foundation stones of this growth process. As Jesus taught the word is the source of sanctification, Paul stresses the teaching ministry. First, those men used by God in the first century to lay down the foundation. And now through the centuries, Christ has given pastors, teachers, who will build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Thus, the whole church is built upon God's word. The saints are equipped to use their gifts to build the body as the pastors and teachers teach the Bible. In this way, the whole church is built up with, in love, with the result being the body grows together in maturity. All this confirms that true unity depends on the leavening effect of God's word. And thus, churches who want to grow in true unity must press into the Bible and allow the Bible to press into every corner of their life. We must be in God's word. I can't stress that enough. Um, that's where the unity is going to come from. So be in the word. Attend Sunday school. Come to service if you can. Pray. Pray with other believers. Um, the ninth point is that unity grows when it is stretched, pressured, or even threatened. So do we feel stretched a little bit lately? Do we feel stretched individually and as a body um, with what's going on in our world? It's been a difficult few months. Uh, probably most of us thought we would never see the point where we couldn't come to church. We were told we couldn't come to church. Um, you know, something that's hard, hard to imagine. Um, we will be united soon, I believe. Um, and even starting next week, we'll be going to two services um, with the hope that everyone can return and, and worship and then eventually worship together uh, when it's prudent to do so. Um, but we've been stretched for sure. In a world filled with challenges, in churches that range in maturity and backgrounds, church unity can come through seasons of difficulty and even disunity because unity is contingent on those things, on maturity, on, maturity, um, on our backgrounds. It can be a process that takes time. Unity is not a piece that just falls on the church. It's the product of the church growing up in love. Consider again verses 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Praise God. Does this sound easy? Does this type of, type of unity sound easy? It's not always easy. New habits are hard to form, let alone new lives and new, the new creations that we are. And when we come together, it can take some work. In the process of church growth, unity is not a given. It is the result of spirit-empowered labor. It's something, therefore, God must do in his church over time. And this process of unity and maturity is often or can be filled with pain, growing pains. 
Sometimes people can expect that because Jesus prayed for unity, anything that looks like disunity can be a disappointment. Yet, this is why he prayed, because he's growing his church in unity. Um, kind of makes sense. You wouldn't need to pray it if, if, if it was all done, if we just were unified and, and, and it's easy. Um, so disunity can actually be a step on the way to unity. Just like bodies grow stronger when they push against heavy weights, so unity must, must always come through resistance training. So I think that's a good point, that um, if we have differences, we need to work them out. As we said before, we need to be peacemakers and reconcile with each other. And just because we're going through that, the process of going through that is not a bad thing. That's what we need to do to get to be unified. Um, I think that's a good point. The tenth point is that unity glorifies God and attracts unbelievers. When it's all said and done, gospel-centered, humble-hearted unity glorifies God. It glorifies God because it can only come through the cross of Christ. So everything we've spoken about, the only way we get true unity is through God. So when we do have it, you know, he gets the glory. We're humble. We don't pat ourselves on the back. Look how, look how united we are. Look how this. Everyone thinks they're united. Um, God gets the glory because he's doing the work through us. But we have our part, our part to play as we've been talking about. Glorifies God because it demands members of the body die to self and live a life empowered by the Spirit. In this way, Christ gets the glory for what he did once and for all on the cross and the Holy Spirit gets glory as he completes the work of Christ in the life of his church. Even more, when the church is unified in gospel truth and humble love, it will display to unbeliever what the gospel is and what the gospel does. The gospel is a message of grace. When that message is believed by a community of faith, and that community covenants to love one another, the power, wisdom, and goodness of God is seen. You know, even outside of the church, I'm sure in your walks of life at work or with family, you feel that connection when you come in contact with another believer. Sometimes you don't even know, you don't even know they're a believer at first, but there is something there. And that's a form of unity that, uh, you know, I've had that several times, usually at, usually at my work. So oh, there's something different about And sometimes I can't come right out and ask certain questions at work. It's, it's frowned upon. So, um, and sure enough, it'll turn out that person is a, is a fellow believer. And there's that connection there. There's that unity um, even outside of our, our local body. Pursuing church unity is worth the effort. Results in seeing Christ glorified on earth. When that happens, it strengthens believers and draws unbelievers to God's power, love, and wisdom. So I told you they weren't exhaustive points or long points. Those are ten truths that we see um, in the book of Ephesians. And just so you know, our leadership in our church prays regularly that the Lord will protect our unity here and preserve our unity, um, not taken lightly. What I would like to do now is have whoever wants to pray for unity, whether it's two or three of you or five or seven of you, um, if you feel like praying for it, or I, would, I would like that. I think God would like that. And then I will close with a prayer at the end. So. 
Well, again, we thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone here and watching on YouTube and, and uh, just as we've been speaking about this time. Um, we pray to be in your will, and we know your will is for us to be unified. Um, we pray for your grace and mercy as we continue to pursue unity and maintain unity. And as John said, strengthen our unity. Um, help us to be in your word. Help us to pray for each other, to love one another as you have commanded us, to put each other ahead of ourselves, to be humble. We thank you. We thank you for this body of believers. And just pray for your blessing going forward. Pray that um, ten, 10 years from now we'll look back at this time in our country and, and understand better, but also come out of it stronger and more unified as a body and as a country. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.